Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome <laughs> to Don't Miss This. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Glad y'all are here. Okay, we have a lot of new people, so we keep getting a lot more new people, so that's fantastic. Keep telling friends and family about it, um, unless you want to be the really smart one in Sunday school and keep it to yourself. <laughs> I did have someone tell me that. Like, I don't want to tell anybody because I like being the smart one. Don't be selfish. Um, so... Uh, two things. One, if you're new and you'd like to get the study guide papers, they are they come on our newsletter every week, and you can sign up for that at emilybellfreeman.com. E, Bell is with an E. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to spell my whole name for just a second. E M I. Yeah, Bell, Bell is like an E, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, emilybellfreeman.com. And my friend Randall said the other day, "Is that where Emily Bell Freeman with an E lives? Right over there?" <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Okay, I think we got the message across that that is where it happens. So the, uh, sign up for the newsletter. It's free, and it comes with this. Also in the newsletter. Let's just talk about the newsletter, because this is one of my best parts of the last two weeks. Jenny. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, what? I thought it going to be something new. Was, okay, so Jenny, my Jenny, said the other day that um, all the pictures in the newsletter are the same every single week. So she just thought like the newsletter was just, you know, the same every single week. Um, or that in the spot, because in the newsletter we have a spot for study tips for kids, for couples, for teens. Um, but they change every single week with the, the chapters, lesson. with the lessons. Mm-hmm. So we give an idea for teaching kids like from Acts 10 through 15 and for teens from Acts 10 through 15 and couples. So um, if it's you... It's new every week. If you every... want teaching tips, some people use them in primary. You can use them with your family. We're yeah. Just, we're just trying to give you ideas of how you might use this in your home according to who's in your home. So if you're like Jenny and think it's just the same thing or here's general teaching ideas, it's not. There are specific ideas. Who loves ideas. that we spend a lot of time writing those newsletter tips every week? She has to have watched you at your computer. She lives with me. <laughs> what did she think you were doing? We don't know. That's, so, that's my favorite part. <laughs> Jenny was like, wait. So the very person I live with doesn't know that they're right? new. So you might not know because you don't live with me. Um, so there you go. That is what you want to know. So you can go sign up for that. Free 90 free. Okay, but this is Acts 10 through 15, if we haven't said that yet, which we're going to talk about. Remember, the book of Acts is a story of Jesus. Oh, oh, we forgot to walk away from the board. Walk away from the board. Oh, okay, so you can see this. If you want to take a look, I wrote a ton on there, y'all, this time. So, but we are going through all of that. This is a story of Jesus continuing his ministry through the, through the apostles. apostles. Uh, the book is called the Acts of the Apostles. And so you just get some really interesting insights about um, how he still works through people when he's invisible and gone and not like... In heaven. Yeah, in, in heaven. heaven. <laughs> and he's invisible. Like, well, he's not... Whatever. <laughs> you can see him, but just not all the time. Um, so this is what makes this such, an, such intriguing stuff. We're going to actually start off with the story of Peter... And kind of a change in the way that the church functions, like a policy change, a major overhaul 
Uh, and what happens personally to Peter and then as they gather together as the apostles, as the group of apostles, we want you to be watching this um, because this isn't something that happened just in New Testament time. This is ongoing if you belong to a true and living church, which we do. Right. Um, this is what Revelation would look like. This this might be the same steps that the prophet and apostles go through. So as we're watching this through the eyes of Peter, we want you to also be thinking, okay, what would this look like today? How would this be happening today? Yeah, and, and I just feel like as an institute teacher, seminary teacher, we get a lot of questions about, why policy changes happen in the church. It actually causes a lot of disruption with people where they are just like, uh, me included, by the way, where I'm just like, wait a second, why are we reversing that? What's going on? So it's neat to see this. I hope that, I kind of hope as as we look through this, you can see what a process it is. I like in Come Follow Me, it talks about Revelation being this step-by-step you know, well, adventure. I don't think it says adventure. It, and but. we're working it out. And we'll talk more about that. We want to go through the story. And then we are going to talk a little bit about this process of revelation, the principles. Yeah. Which revelation. is why we call it principles, because we don't think it's a step-by-step formula. This is not a math equation. This is so fluid and it's so mm-hmm. organic. And so it's neat to see it happen in this story. So we're going to jump around in the first story. And then we'll come back and end on um, one of our favorites from Acts chapter 12, which will discuss kind of another major question that that people have. What if we tell the whole story first, and then we go back through and lay out the principles? Okay. Okay? So we'll start in 10, Acts 10. So Acts 10 is actually where you read the story, and then Peter's going to retell it in Acts chapter 11. Mm -hmm. And so um, they really are a repeat of each other. But sometimes that's neat because you get a little extra insight. Mm -hmm you know, into the story. We're going to camp for the principles in Acts 11, but the story is in Acts chapter 10, there's this man that we meet whose name is Cornelius, and he's the captain of this band. Uh, he's a general. He's, an, you know, a, a military leader, and a pretty important one. Um, he would have been over a group of 600 soldiers, I think, is what... Um, and he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Right. So remember, during the ministry of Jesus, there was... Jesus went to the to the Jews, to the house of Israel, to the, to the tribe of Judah and Benjamin who were there. And, and they didn't minister to cities and places that were outside. So Cornelius is um, a Gentile, and he actually has a vision. Well, and let's just say this too, because I love this about him. He was a Gentile, but he was also religious. He believed in God. We find out in verse 2, he was a devout man. He feared God with his whole house. He gave alms to the people. And he prayed to God always. So although he's he's not a member of Peter's community, particular faith and community, um, he is a, a religious man. He just he loves God. He has a relationship with God. Yeah, a seeker for him. Sometimes it's a little bit funny where we look at people of different faiths and and we're a little bit patronizing sometimes. You know, towards mm-hmm. someone of another yeah. faith, we're just like. They don't have all the truth. They don't have all the whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, and, and we're going to recognize Cornelius had such a great relationship with God that he actually was able to also be receiving his own personal revelation at the same time Peter is receiving revelation, which I think is awesome. So the the answer from God that, that Cornelius gets is go find um, somebody whose name is Simon Peter. He's never met him before, we assume. He tells him what city he's in and go send your men to go looking for him, which is exactly what he does. So that's mm-hmm. camera one. 
that's happening. Okay, I love Cam- there's going to be two camera. Yeah, camera two <laughs> is Peter is in Joppa, the city, and everyone's getting dinner ready, and he's pretty hungry, and he goes up into the roof to pray. And while he's up on the housetop, um, every time I read that, I think of that Santa Claus song. <laughs> up on the housetop. Yeah, because verse nine, he says, he went up on the housetop. Oh, <laughs> and awesome. I was like, what's that? How's that go? Anyways, click, click, click. <laughs> so, really hungry. And he would have eaten, it says in verse 10, but he falls into a trance or a dream or a vision. Um, And in the vision, there is this um, giant sheet and it's filled with animals. But Peter notices, and you and I wouldn't notice this, but Peter did. You remember during the book of Leviticus when Mm -hmm. God gives the additional statutes and commandments for the law of Moses, he declares certain animals unclean or um, what this chapter is going to call them um, common. Um, And so the sheet comes down full of the particular animals that up to that point were forbidden Mm -hmm. to eat. And he says to him, Peter, kill these animals and eat them. And Peter's like, absolutely not. Nope, I will will not eat those. I've never eaten anything that's uh, common or unclean. I've Mm -hmm. never done it before. Um, and then God says to him, what I have cleansed or declared clean, you don't call it unclean. So eat it. And, and he's so confused. And the vision actually happens um, three, three times, times. right? Mm-hmm. Um, before Peter figures out and realizes what exactly is going on. So well, I, mean, and I don't even know if he does figure it out. He's still just trying to process through why, why is he doing this and why did he tell it to me? Three times, and it's interesting because in verse 17 it says, Now while Peter doubted, um, so now go now you have to go to oh, okay. the camera. So camera one actually means camera two. So Peter is like, I don't I don't really get this, you know? And then all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock on his door, and it's the soldiers from Cornelius who come. Um and you love that God has already orchestrated this moment, right? He's prepared Cornelius, he sent them in, the men are coming. Now, before Peter had time to eat, he went up on the rooftop, he has this dream, he's processing. So now you've got the men on the one side of the door, Peter coming down on the other. Peter's still trying to figure things out. In his mind, the men don't really know what they're doing either. All they know is I'm supposed Cornelius to go find them, some go guy find named, right. someone named Simon Peter, but what are they supposed to do with him? We don't know. I don't know if Cornelius knows. No, what nobody knows what's nobody happening. Knows. Except that they get there, and it's funny that the Spirit tells him, there's a knock on the door, and the Spirit tells him, um, there's three people looking for you, um, which is awesome. He's the first vivid alarm system. He's the first ring. Um, he tells them that's who's at the door. And then in 20 says, go down there and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. I love that part. I know because it's like Peter's like, what is going on? And then it's almost like the Spirit prepares him for what is about to happen is going to cause you to question. So what I'm telling you is I sent them in. I'm orchestrating the entire thing. You go. Go and doubt nothing. Um, so he gets there. They hear the story. Ask Wait, him, you love, yeah, 21. Yeah, when he comes down um, uh, and he says, I- I'm the one you're looking for. He already knows that. Is that funny? That he opens the door and he's like, I'm Peter. I'm the one you're looking for. And he says, why are you here? Why did, why did you guys even come? And they tell the story of their of their leader, the dream that he had, um, the vision that he had from God to come and, and find Peter. And they're just supposed to listen what Peter is going to tell them. Do you love that? Because Peter's probably like, I don't know what I'm going to tell you. 
Yeah. I, mean, I have no idea. They're, they're like, we'd like to know what you have to tell us. And Peter's like, me too. Yes, yeah. So instead, he just is coming for dinner. That's such a great way to solve any sort of awkward <laughs> scenario. Let's just eat. So they do. And the next day, they go out to, the, he goes with them to Caesarea, the other city, to find Cornelius who's waiting for him. And has also gathered everyone All his friends and all his yeah. family because they're like, you guys. Peter's about to say something really good. Really, really awesome. Peter doesn't know what he's going to um, say. And they fall down and they worship and he's like, whoa, 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 stand up, stand up, stand up. I am just a man, right? I didn't send you the vision. Um, and uh, and then um, what's interesting is in 28 and he says to them, you know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or share a table with someone of, of another nation. He says, but God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And it seems like it's right there in 28 that he starts to figure out why he saw the vision. And it's so awesome because think about it. He, he had the vision, the people come, they eat dinner, they spend the night, they get up the next morning, they've come to hear what Peter's going to say. Peter really has no idea what he's going to say until he walks into that room. And how often does the spirit work like that? And, and sometimes we have to have that kind of confidence in the spirit. Sometimes we have to trust where it says in scripture, it will be given you at the very hour what I want you to say. Sometimes we have to trust that. We, we just have to show up Ugh. and trust the spirit is going to tell us. I mean, you really wanted to be the hour before or <laughs> 10. You know, yes. but it's interesting because he comes in and it's almost like he's making the connections. He's like, God told me not to call people common or unclean. And then he's like, Cornelius, why do you tell your story? Mm -hmm. And he tells about his fasting and prayer experience. And then 34, he opens up his mouth and he says this line. This is chapter 10, verse 34. Of a truth, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And then you love 36 when he says, he is Lord of all. I, just, I love that part so much. And, and my favorite part too, if you look in your scriptures, particularly if you're a teenager, you just love there's a little smiley face after that <laughs> little phrase. He is Lord of all. Smiley face. Yeah. And we so might kind of like freak out a little bit. It's like, why wouldn't he have known that? That seems like a really, really easy principle. And mm -hmm. it's just like... We used to understand like the, the first there was a commandment not to take it to him. There was a prejudice in, that Peter would have grown up with. And the Lord really is taking his time to try and work this out of him and help him understand, you know, it, it doesn't, your bloodline doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and it's interesting because just because Peter had a witness doesn't mean it's going to be easy for everyone because immediately what happens is people find out what happened and then it, we find out in verse 2 of chapter 11 there is contention there's there is this contention people are like Peter what were you doing what what were you thinking and this is not how it works and um, we're gonna watch him lay out this whole thing that happened so that they can all see the process of like God's hand is in this so we all need to figure out what is God trying to teach us. Yeah, and what should we do, right? Mm -hmm. So it's neat that chapter 11 then is his explanation. He's like, look, I don't know everything yet, but let me tell you the story that happened. And it, it, we should mention that in chapter 10, there was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. on them, witnessing to Peter. is like, yep. This is right. This is right. This is mm -hmm. good. So we have on the paper just a, a selection of verses from chapter 11 when he retells the story of these kind of principles of revelation. So you'll hear some of them 
as we go as we through, go and you can um, and you can kind of see, you know, what we pulled out, and you might pull out some different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, you may find others, but just as we went through, we were like, this is this is some of the principles of Revelation when you watch as Peter works through this, and he starts out in verse four. He's like, let me just everybody sit down. Let me tell you what happened. Let's just walk through this. And he starts out and says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. So the first thing that happens is the first principle, and I think this is true of Revelation every time. When you look in Scripture, uh, Revelation always begins with a prayer. Um, it, it begins with us opening up that line of communication with God. Um, so prayer would be the first one. and the Which second, I think is a better, like Revelation is such a, a word that sort of lost its sparkle because we talk about it so much. And so to redefine Revelation as a one-on-one -on -one interaction with God mm -hmm. helps kind of bring some of that sparkle back into it. It's like, okay, wait, Revelation is when God enters into my story. That is exactly what is happening. And yeah. it's opened by, you know, starting that conversation mm -hmm. in prayer. Uh, the second thing is he, he sees a vision. And sometimes that's going to be true for us. I would say most of the time not. Um, how I would maybe describe this in a more generic term is somehow God opens our eyes to, to see something we maybe were missing. Sometimes that is a verse of scripture that stands out. Sometimes it's someone who enters our story and gives us more information. It might happen in a Sunday school class or just somehow God knows how to open our eyes. For Peter in this story, he it was sees an a vision. actual vision. Yeah. Then the next is in verse six where it says, when I'd fastened my eyes, um, which is interesting because like what he has learned, he's now like intent on, you know, like his eyes have been opened and now he's like, okay, there's something there and I want to put some heart and soul and focus into it. Mm -hmm. And it says, I considered, you know, so he's just spending the time just like, hmm, Okay, what is what is he trying to teach? What is he trying to say? He's kind of focused in on it. And, and that's good for us to remember is sometimes we need to start considering where is God opening our eyes right now? And for me, the process of revelation works better if I write while I'm trying to do that communicating with God. And so um, lots of times I'll pull out a piece of paper and just any thought that comes, that those are things I consider. I feel like if I have opened up a conversation with God and I have let him know I'm ready to receive revelation, from that moment on, any time my eyes are opened or I have a thought that comes into my head, I'm going to consider that. I'm going to consider that as part of the revelation. And there's that awesome talk by Elder Scott that we mm -hmm. talked about that we'll put into the newsletter, a reference of where he talks about like what his process looked like when he mm -hmm. would consider and write and, yep. and kind of go through that. So remember the thing that he tells him to is to, you know, stand up and eat. And he says in verse 8, I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into, you know, into my mouth. And we just think that verse 8 is interesting because he kind of questions it. But you forgot one. Oh, which Hold one? Hold on, everyone. Back up to verse 7. Um, right after he considers, it oh, tells us, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard a voice saying unto me, and part of that considering process also needs to be a listening. Um, we, rather than talking for the whole conversation, we need to take a little bit of time to just stop and listen. So we're gonna consider, we're gonna let our eyes be open, we're gonna listen, and then, okay, we and love this then part. he loves this part. That is why he yeah. jumped into it. So fast, <laughs> his favorite part. Well, I just love that he like questions, like, did I actually hear that? Is that actually right? The Lord mm -hmm. said this, and he's like, no, 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 that's not what you've said in the past. So this is different, and he's kind of pushing back a little bit. Um, man, there's so much that goes on inside our minds and our thoughts. Like, I think it's wise to consider, like, 
I think I'm feeling this. I think I'm hearing this, but it seems contradictory. And he kind of just pushes back a little bit against mm-hmm. it, which I think is something. And it's awesome to know we can question. Yeah. Right? I've never done something like this before. Are, are you sure this is what um, you're trying to tell me? And just and then again, consider and listen. And it's, it's kind of a cyclical process, that part. And of, what's, oh, sorry, cut you off. Of listening. <laughs> you people get mad get about that, yeah. <laughs> um, of listening, considering, questioning. Um, you may cycle through that little part of the principles of Revelation for a long time. That's okay. Yeah, and then I like that God corrects him in verse 9. He says, like, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And God's like, well, let me teach you something. That when I call something clean, you don't call it unclean. So it's almost like this new teaching mm-hmm. is going on. And then the vision repeats two more times. The exact same thing. And we and- love this part. I um, have a friend who talks about when you see a repetition from God in your life, she calls it a soul echo. So isn't that the greatest description of that? That if she um, is studying something and then she sees it here and someone talks about it here and she sees another reminder of it here and she has trained herself to know that is a soul echo and that she needs to be watching for where God is sending that repetition. repetition there's probably a message there. Yeah, I remember somebody talking to me one time about um, receiving a patriarchal blessing. Like when's the right time for it? And I heard somebody else give the advice. Oh, I started to think about it more when it just kept coming up. Hmm. Like it came up in a Sunday school lesson and then like our friends started talking about it and somebody spoke about it in Safford meeting and I thought about it at night one time laying in bed and Mm -hmm. just kind of that, that God just kind of keeps reaching out and he's like, I know it's going to take a little bit, which is fine. Um, Then verse 11 is really neat because he Mm -hmm. says, behold, immediately there were three men already come to the house. I love that part. And so God has been orchestrating this lesson. God's been orchestrating what he wants to teach and have him experience you know, all in all in the background. Mm-hmm. And so it's wise and good to look for where God's been orchestrating. Mm-hmm. You know, where do you see him like yeah, putting where do you pieces see his hand? into place? Yeah. You know? So you're watching for those soul echoes. You're also watching for God's hand at this point. And I think those two just go hand in hand. I love those. And then the spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. And we love this part because there will be a point in the revelation process where we are required to move even if we don't have all the details, which is really scary. Like Peter was like, I don't know what the dream means yet. I have no idea what those three guys are doing here. They've come to hear something that they want me to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but God told him just move, right? Take the next right step. And that's part of the process of these principles of revelation is sometimes you just have to take the next right step. Even when you don't see what the outcome's going to be, you just got to trust the next right step. Yeah, I remember Elder Oaks teaching us when when he came to my mission and just saying to us, the revelation comes on the move, right? Mm-hmm. He says, just move forward. God won't let you get very far into an incorrect path, but it comes when you're moving. So he goes and he speaks. And then in verse 15, um, the witness comes. As he started to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them. And he knew like, oh, this is this is it. And then 16, it sneezes. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said that you would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And he's just like, oh, this is something he has been teaching. He's been preparing me for this for years. Even remember the very last thing that Jesus said before he left was, go ye into all the world. And nobody picked up on it on that occasion. Mm -hmm. And now he's remembering some of the stuff that's happened. He's like, oh, okay, okay. As Mm -hmm. sort of this like, 
you know, clarification. So you might find some more principles, you know, of revelation, but I hope you're seeing that it's actually a really messy process. <laughs> process. And we it's want just... you to think about that because just because Peter spells this out doesn't mean everyone was like, oh, oh, great, Peter, that sounds awesome. No, there is still going to be this council that's called that we're going to talk about. But maybe before we go there, I, I just want you to think for a minute about how revelation works because it comes in several different ways. And one of the best ways to see it is with the brother of Jared in the book of Ether. And it's a story we're familiar with, and I'm just going to fly through it quickly. But um, it's when the brother of Jared is camped out on the sea. He hasn't spoken to the Lord for three years. He finally goes to him, and the Lord is like, wait a minute. You're here, and you're happy, but I have something better. And because you haven't opened up this means of revelation, this communication, I haven't been able to help you. I have a promised land. I already have it. I hold it in my hands for you. But if if the brother of Jared doesn't ask, how is he going to get there? Mm. So he asks him, and the Lord tells him, you're going you're gonna to go over here. And the brother of Jared says, yeah, but how are we going to go? And you remember he asked three questions. How will we breathe? The Lord tells him to make the barges. How will we breathe? How will we have light? And how will we steer? All of those are going to be revelatory experiences for the brother of Jared, but they are all going to be completely different. And that is important. The first one, the revelation comes, it is clear as day. You're going to put a hole in the top and the bottom. Here's how you'll plug it up. That's how you're going to breathe. We wish every revelation came like that. <laughs> life would be so easy if that is how revelation worked. But it isn't because do you remember on the second one, the Lord's revelation to him is, what do you want me to do? And the brother of Jared is going to have to work through that. He has to do the work. It's He's going to go through the details. Remember, he's going to get 16 stones. He doesn't just pick up the 16, the first 16 rocks he sees. He actually molten's them out of stone. Do you think he knew how to do that? Do you think he molten 16 stones perfectly the first time? Probably not. He probably made a whole bunch, got 16 that were about the right size and shape. And then he's going to climb up the mountain and he's going to put him in front of the Lord and the Lord's going to touch him. And eventually through a lot of working out of the details, that answer is going to come. And this is a moment of working out the details. Yeah. That's what's happening here. There is going to be that moment of working out the details of the next right step, right? Go, go learn how to make the tools, then learn how to get the stones, then climb up the highest mountain, then get back on your knees again and pray. It's just this ongoing process of working out the details and I think sometimes we forget even a prophet has to work out the details. Mm. Um, I, I talked a lot with our kids in seminary and I know you did too about the uh, policy change in 2015 and then in 2019. What we are watching right now is a prophet working out the details and, and we're going to continue to watch that process. We are going to watch that keep happening just the way it did here. Um, we get to be part of a true and living church, which means we are a part of a church that is working out the details. It's just taking the next step and the next step, and they're going to figure it out, and God's going to tutor them, and we wish everything could be a hole in the top of the barge. We wish it could. But God has shown us in Scripture that it's not how he works with his prophets. And you remember the last revelation didn't come. How are we going to steer? It never says in there how they should steer. It finally gets to the point where the brother of Jared is like, well, everybody just get in and we'll commend ourselves to the Lord. Mm. And how were they steered? Wind. 
right? Could the brother of Jared make wind? Could he control wind? No. There's some things only God can do, right? And you look at those three processes of revelation, and then you think to yourself, uh, how do we even begin to explain revelation? We don't. We just trust. (laughs) Why are you so worried about the brother of Jared making wind? (laughs) Uh, Just because he can't. (laughs) (laughs) But I was going to (laughs) say while you're talking that God is still molding and exalting like his prophets while he's molding and exalting all of us. That's so good. And so it's like their process, their journey isn't over either, you know? And so it's like you, we can expect and see this, like he's just going to be working through mm-hmm. every single one of us, you know? Um, you see a couple chapters over in chapter 15 where Peter goes and now has to talk with all the apostles about this. Okay. Now what's the new policy for the church going to be? You know, Peter has this individualized experience. And now are they, is it for just Cornelius or are they going to make a major policy change for the entire church? And so it's neat that you see a couple of verses in there that we have up on the paper that you can look at. But we just like some of the things that are in there that they, that it says in verse 2 of 15, there was no small dissension and there was disputation and everyone had different opinions and different experiences we love that they give time in that chapter mm-hmm. for people to speak. Like, yep. okay, let Paul and Barnabas tell us about their mission experiences. What have been your experiences with Gentile converts? I mean, Gentiles that you've interacted with. And and they just move around mm-hmm. and listen to each other. So there's a lot in 15 where it might be a sneak peek into what those Thursday meetings mm-hmm. with the Quorum of the Twelve look like. You know, if you've ever had one of them speak about some of those meetings, they say you've got 15 of the most opinionated people in the world. And from so many diverse backgrounds, which makes you so happy because they've all had different experience that they bring to the table. Right. If you if you were to add up all of their ages, you would have over a millennium of experience gathered together into a room of different types of experiences. But it's still a listening and talking mm-hmm. and disputing and questioning and, counsel. and counseling. Mm-hmm. All together. And we love that here in 22, 25, and 28, it uses the same phrase in chapter 15, which is when they announce it, they say, it seemed us good to make this change. Like, they're just leaving the door open for, we we could be wrong, but it just seemed right to all of us. It seemed like the right idea to do. At this time. Right. And that doesn't mean there won't be more to come, but this seemed good right now. So we're going to act on that. And the beauty is, if it's not quite right, God's, God's going to fix it. Right. He is. Right. And what's to say this is not a stepping stone to what he eventually wanted to happen mm-hmm. next anyways? It's like, you never would have gotten here unless you made this decision first and then now mm-hmm. to this decision. And, and, and we've got to just... trust the learning process. And we have to trust that he is working in the waiting. Um, that he, mm-hmm. That he's helping all of that come to the place where it needs to go. And that takes a lot of trust. It does. Um, it, it takes trust, even like you said, when a policy change comes and it is hard. Um, that's where we are learning to trust God, to trust the prophet, to trust the process of revelation, to allow it to happen the way that it happens. Right. And one of the things that we really love from this chapter is verse 26. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the best part. Because right after 25, it, it, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord like we got together and we all felt good about it at the same time. And then we decided to send out these men, our beloved Barnabas and Paul out there. And then he says this about the men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I just love that everybody who was in that room did not have their own personal interests in, in mind at the center. These are the kind of people who have put their lives on the line for Jesus Christ. These are the ones making the decisions. It's people who've like, who've given up so much. It's just like, that can't be ignored that that is the kind of people gathering together to make the decision. Mm -hmm. No personal benefit is coming from it. Right. And so I love that description. Yeah. These are the kind of people that have so that have gathered together. Um, and that's just good to think on mm-hmm. all levels where there's a council that's gathered together. Kids about their parents to just think like, listen, they are just trying. They, you know, yeah, they're, they're just doing their best. Their very best. Uh, ward councils like these are people who did not have to wake up at 630 in the morning to gather together. But they did because they love the Lord and they're just trying their best to do what is good. Mm-hmm. And when a decision comes out from them, you might have a lot to say that would have been different, but it just like is, they would say this, I think God spoke to us. We think he spoke to us and it seemed right and it seemed good to do this and, that, and that's why we're doing it. And let God guide the next step. Mm-hmm. You know? Which he will. He will guide the next step. And we've all been in that place of revelation. We've all had that moment where you're like, this is what I felt. This is, this is what I feel called to do right now. I'm going to trust it. And, and we're going to trust also. And, and it is just this tutoring in trust. And it is hard. Um, but that's why we pray for each other. That's why we pray for the prophet. That's why, um, you know, we just, we want that revelation to be right for everyone who we love. And we're going to trust that it, it's going to be right. It right. Just, it's over time. And with all of that tutoring that takes place, it's going to be right. And does God have the ability to make it a lot more crystal clear? Absolutely. I think on purpose he leaves it a little bit messy and a little bit fuzzy because of who we become in the process. Mm-hmm. It, re- it, it, it demands out of us more trust and more thinking and more wondering. And, and what happens to us is so exalting in the process mm-hmm. that he leaves it that and way. And I love that we live in a time where we are watching a prophet receive living revelation. But he's not just receiving it and telling us about his process of receiving. He is actually inviting all of us to be a part. If you look at all of his most recent talks, and he just keeps inviting us to learn how to live at a higher spiritual capacity, how to live in revelation. Um, He's working at it. He's inviting us to work at it also. And the harder we work at it, the more we're going to understand the process he's going through, which I think is important. Yeah. Okay, now should we move to 12? Because we love chapter Okay, 12. chapter 12 is our most... How I forgot to start the timer. I have no idea how many minutes we're into this. But uh, sorry, this is an extra long one, everybody. But chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, you have to take a break right now. Come back because this is a really um, powerful chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a chapter that you are going to need sometime in your life. Yep. You may have already needed it. And, and most likely everybody listening is going to need it again. Um, and it kind of talks about some of the times, you know, some of the unfair um, things that we see that happen mm-hmm. in the world. So here's the setup. Acts chapter 12 is you've got um, a great persecution against Christians during this time period. Like it, it has not stopped with the death of Jesus. And maybe it's even gotten a little bit more intense or a lot bit more intense. And it's going to. And um, you have somebody, Herod, who's the somebody. king. <laughs> you have someone. Um, who wanted to persecute and vex the church is the word that's used. He wanted to come down hard on the church. So he takes um, James into prison, you know, and sets an execution date for him. Now I just want you to think about for a second, 
if you woke up tomorrow morning and saw on your phone that um, elder... Don't choose one. One of the apostles. Don't scare what, someone. Well, what if? Like, let's just say Elder Uchtdorf. He goes to jail. <laughs> oh, great. Now I have to pray extra hard for Elder Uchtdorf. <laughs> right? And we're like, well, what is, like, do you, well, we just got to think about, like, you, like, what would the reaction be if you found out that one of the 12, one of the first presidents he's been put into prison, right? By and, someone who you don't trust their motive. Um, you don't, you don't trust what they're going to do with him. Right. Absolutely not. And so what you have is you think about who is praying for James to be released from prison. Um, you've got, it's every prayer in the morning over every meal. It's going to happen in all the seminary classes, the Sunday school classes, it's going to happen individually, and I promise you the people praying most are um, that, whoever that is, their, their wife, their children, their grandchildren, their neighbors, their, their, everybody is praying. Um, they've seen what they, what they did to Jesus, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so they're just praying their guts out, and then it takes one verse in. You get into verse 2, one verse after, and it says, And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. The end. That's it, right? As, as he gets executed. Right, despite the fact that everybody prayed and fasted and begged God, you know, to deliver him. He just he gets the sword right away. And and that is a moment when the devil um comes in and, and starts to say things like, Well, I guess prayer doesn't matter, mm-hmm. or I guess God doesn't care, or I I, I guess uh, James must have been unworthy. Um, or he doesn't really love him or, or your family, or this is where we start asking the question, what have I done wrong? Cause this must be a punishment. Why is God punishing us? You know, like mm-hmm. all of these feelings and things happen in moments when you pray and beg and, and the outcome is, and you get the sword, the outcome is not, you know, what you hoped for. Now the lessons start to get better when you see the next story, you know, right next to it. Because Herod saw, like, well, hey, that made me popular. Yeah, so he and it, goes. it tells us in verse 3, uh, because he saw it pleased the Jews. So obviously there was a big reaction. Um, the Jews were happy about what was happening. Um, so then... So then he takes Peter. He one-ups it, and he puts Peter right, right on the heels of what's happened to James. He takes Peter in and uh, puts him in jail. And it's a holiday, so he's like, oh, let's keep him in jail for a minute before we kill him. Um, and he puts him in jail in verse four, and it says, "There's four quaternin quarters soldiers <laughs> to keep him, and one of those is four men each. So there's sixteen guards around Peter. Remember, he's gotten out of jail several times, right? Um, and he's kept in prison in verse five, and it says there again, prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God. From this is so this is waking up the next morning, and now President Nelson's in the same prison that James was in." And everybody, again, everyone is praying their heart and souls out. They are begging God for a miracle. Again, this is where Satan's going to come in and say, why are you even praying? It didn't work for James. Why do you think it's going to work here? Um, So people are having to deal with those types of emotions. And they are praying, praying, praying. And then this is so fun. Um, Are you first going to say how he not only had the 16 soldiers... But he also oh, yeah, it's totally was sleeping coming. between two soldiers. Okay, so verse 6, he is bound with two chains to two soldiers um, and people outside also. So 14 soldiers out, two of them sleeping next to him in the prison jail, like 
chained to them so he can't get out. Herod is going to make this impossible for him to leave. And this is when the good Lord just giggles because he's like, oh, that is cute. And you remember that, that scripture think. in the Old Testament. Nothing, is anything too hard for the <laughs> yeah. Lord? No, it's just like, he's like, they forgot I opened an ocean. Um, so then verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And it didn't wake him up. I love that part. That makes me feel so good about it because I am such a deep sleeper. <laughs> And he had to smite Peter on the side. So he kicks him. So he comes and shines the light on him. It doesn't wake him up. So give your teenagers a little bit of credit on Sunday morning. Okay, they might turn into a Peter. Kicks him and raises him. He's like, get up quick. And the chains just go clink, 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 clink. And they fall off of his hands. And eight, it says, the angel says, get dressed and put on your shoes. And so he did. And he says, and follow me. And put your jacket on. Okay, he's like his mother. His mother came. Uh, and nine, they go out and followed him. And, it and says, you love him, verse nine. That Peter just thinks it's a dream. He oh, yeah. honestly does. He's like, this is not real. So he's like sleepwalking. Yes. Right? And just like, and he it just says, it's a vision. They passed the first and the second ward. So Peter's in the deepest, the third deepest section of the prison. And the door, I love when it says this in verse 10 they came to the iron gate, which opened to them of his own accord. Right? The gate just was like, oh. <laughs> okay, and just opens for them, and they go out and they get into the street, and then the angel just leaves. And finally, eleven, Peter comes to himself. So he's just standing in the middle of the street, <laughs> he's like, Wait, right? Am I dreaming? And what it just says, happen? "Now I know of a surety: the Lord has sent His angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod." Right? That's when he figures it all out. Okay, let's pause there before we get to the third lesson, which we forgot to tell you. Acts chapter twelve is called "Swords, Angels, and Front Porches." We should have like peaked we your have. interest. At the beginning, it was right? going to be so good. With that. Okay. okay. Now in this story, um, the whole church, Peter gets put into prison and the whole church prays. They all gather together. Right. A, a bunch of them are in one house just praying together. They're not going to sleep. They're just, everyone's taking turns praying. And the point is that Peter gets an angel. And an angel comes and and um, and releases him from jail. Like, And he gets a miracle. In the same exact situation that James was in. And once again, this is where the devil is going to come in and say, like, how come he released Peter and didn't release James? Why does he love Peter more than James? Like, one of the things I love about this story is the the stories are equal with each other. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we even, like, see callings differently. And we're like, oh, no wonder they got the miracle. That's because they're a stake president. No wonder they got the miracle. Mm -hmm. Both of these were apostles, disciples of the Lord. That wasn't an issue at play. You know, and one of the lessons that we learned from this is in life, sometimes you get the sword and sometimes you get the angel. Um, and, and we don't and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. Right. But God does. God knows the reason for all of those things. And if, if we can learn to trust that God is good, we trust it. We know it. Then we're going to trust that he's going to allow this mortal mortality, this mortal journal journey to do its work in us. Mm-hmm. He's going to allow that to happen. And sometimes that work is painful, really, really painful. Um, and sometimes that journey is getting out of jail unexpectedly. And because all of us have had the sword and all of us have had the angel, um, we just know it, it goes both ways. Sometimes you get one, sometimes you get the other. And Peter's lesson that he learned um, in the Cornelius experience that God is no respecter of persons is exactly at play here. Mm-hmm. James was not being punished for something that he did, right? And and Peter wasn't being rewarded because he was so righteous. God just knew 
you know, what he was doing in these, in these circumstances, you know? Um, and, and that's just the way it is. Like, and, and keep praying for miracles because mm-hmm. God is a God who can do anything at any time, anywhere. He does send angels. He does open prison doors, right? But sometimes he allows the sword to come in, into our lives also. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling this story at an EFY one time and there was a, you know, I, I just kind of asking, when are, when are the, some of the times you've gotten the sword? When are some of the times that you've gotten the angel and this kid raised his hand and he says, sometimes um, the sword turns into an angel. And I was like, what do you mean? And he just said, well, a couple of weeks ago before I came to EFY, my father passed away in a car accident. And he said, and our family got the sword. Um, none of us uh, wanted that to happen, obviously. But he said, but since then, um, what's happened to our family is uh, we've grown together. We've seen God's hand. Our hearts have become more tender. We've changed the experiences. He said, I would bring my dad back in a heartbeat. I would change that story overnight. And I don't think God caused the car accident, but he was able to turn a sword experience into an angelic experience for our family. Hmm. And um, I asked him, I was like, what is your name? And he was like, it's Peter. And I was like, oh, of course it is. (laughs) Why why wouldn't it be that? And so it just taught me a really great lesson on that day because Jesus came to the world and took the sword for us that means all of our many sword experiences uh, can become angels mm-hmm. he's got the power to turn them into angelic and exalting experiences for all of us and then we'll just tell this last principle oh, lesson so which is just really just, really fun you have to think about he's come out of that big prison as soon as people know he's gone what is going to happen just how many people have seen James Bond? That's yeah. all you gotta think about, right? You know what happens when you escape from a prison? The lights start going, and the, everyone's gonna come out. And, and he's standing in the middle of the street. A fugitive and, of the law. And he right? considers it, and he comes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and it tells us everyone has gathered together in the house, and they are just praying their guts out right now, right? They, everybody is just praying, and they're praying, and they're praying, and what are they praying for? You, you have to think, for Peter to get out of jail. That's, everybody's praying for that. It has to be the words of every single prayer is please just let Peter get out of jail. And he goes to the house and he knocks on the door. And um, a girl comes, her name is Rhoda. And we verse love 13, that her name is Rhoda. Yeah. And she comes and hello, and Peter talks. And I love verse 14, so she opened up the gate for gladness, but ran in. Yeah, and so you she... love that she heard his voice and knew it was him. It tells it you like... right there in 14. She, she knew Peter's voice. And she didn't open the gate for gladness, but ran back in the house to tell everybody, Peter is alive. And meanwhile, Peter, the whole world wants Peter. He's stuck on the gate. He can't get in. And then they say to her, verse 15, you are crazy. You are mad. You're out of your mind. You know. And she's like, no, listen. She constantly affirmed it was so. He's like, listen, listen, listen. Peter's I promise you he is on the porch. I heard his voice. He's right there, everybody. And, and, then, and then they were like, no, wait for 15. And they're like, oh, it's his angel. He died, and now his spirit is there. Like a spirit can be held out from a door anyways. And you love this whole time. <laughs> it says in 16 that Peter's like still knocking. He's, and he's like, you guys, on the door. You Everybody. left me out. <laughs> and they opened the door and saw him and were astonished. And wrote as I told y'all, okay, mm-hmm. when they get in there. And we love this story. Um, this is the front, part, front porch part of it because 
Um, they were praying for him to be saved for, for a miracle, and their miracle was waiting on the front porch all along. It just came in a way that was totally unexpected mm-hmm. for them, and sometimes that's how God works. Like, he is working the miracle in our lives. It might be on our very front porch. porch why can't I say Knocking. that? Knocking. Right? Just knocking, knocking there. Just not the way that we thought it would yeah. come. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of time to see that that's what he's doing with all those experiences, yeah. right? And we love that one of the things that we learn from this is that God will give you what you ask for or something better. Um, and, and we don't get to define what the something better is. That boy named Peter... What, what his something better was, was not what they had anticipated. And Peter standing on the porch was not what the saints had anticipated. And again, it just comes back to that place of just trust, trusting God. Yeah. Through re- re- and I love that your, your mom had that phrase on her wall that just said, when you can't see the hand of God, you trust his heart. And I, I've always loved that mm-hmm. phrase just to think like, I know God's good. Mm-hmm. And so if this is happening in my life right now, mm-hmm. um, I know he is on the edge of the bed crying alongside James's family. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to turn this into an, you know, an exalting experience for them, but he is just as heartbroken at their heartbreak, mm-hmm. you know, and, and anyways, he's just good. He, we, we have a good, good God. Yeah. All right, y'all. That was a long one, but was it was one. good stuff. Yeah. And see you next we'll see week. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.